I would rather show my kids that we're going to, you know, make a difference by doing something than A, just complaining, or B, just removing them from the school system altogether. That's Michael Cook, a brand new school board member in Plano, Texas. And this is the Democracy in Education podcast. This is our third episode, Standing Up for Public Education in Plano, Texas. I'm Karen Chenoweth, and in this episode, we're going to hear about how not only Michael Cook, but his entire slate won. It wasn't easy, took a lot of work, good strategy, and a little bit of luck, but Michael and his running mates demonstrate that standing up for public education against extremism is a winning issue just about everywhere. We're going to hear a lot from Michael and other folks, but first, I want to tell you why I have a particular interest in Michael's race. I'm a longtime education writer, and for many years, I worked at a national education advocacy organization, the Education Trust. Just before I retired in the spring of 2022, I went to an EdTrust conference where I met Michael. He was on a panel about parent advocacy, and in the course of it, he said that he was planning on running for school board. Everyone applauded including me. He seemed like exactly the kind of person we should want to run for local school boards. An accomplished person in his own field who cares deeply about whether all children get a good education. After his panel was over, I asked him how he was learning about schools and education and about campaigning. He mentioned a couple of local civic organizations he had found helpful. I promised I would find some additional national resources for him. I spent quite a bit of time finding out there wasn't much out there to help Michael or people like Michael. I was kind of shocked. To me, it's clear that local elected school boards are pretty much the cornerstone of democratic civic life. After all, there are more than 88,000 locally elected school board members, more than any other kind of elected official. They're responsible for ensuring that our next generation is capable of sustaining our democracy. But also, in many ways, they're the face of small-D democratic local government. And before you say, yeah, but hardly anybody pays attention to school board races, you're right. That is a problem. The public's lack of attention, whether from boredom or complacency, has created a political vacuum. And for the past few years, extremist organizations have been taking advantage of that vacuum. They are recruiting, training, and supporting candidates for school board. And they have radical agendas. When they get the majority, they ban books. They harass and intimidate educators. They eliminate mental health services and counseling for students. Sometimes they give contracts to religious charter schools and even try to fully dismantle public schools altogether. Their extremism in office often comes as a shock to people in their districts who really hadn't paid much attention before the election. In another episode, I tell the story of Caneo Valley, California, where extremists took the majority in 2016 and immediately started talking about removing books from the curriculum. It was a shock, but when the community woke up, it was able to elect a more reasonable board in 2018 and take back the full board in 2020. Some of the districts where extremists have taken control are in Texas, not far from where Michael is. He wanted to make sure that didn't happen in Plano. 
But the fact is, neither education nor politics is his field. He knew he had a lot to learn. And yet, as I found, there's precious little to help candidates who are standing up for democracy and public education. At a certain point in my researching, one of the people I consulted summed up the situation. She said, there is nothing, you'll have to do it. So that's why I started Democracy in Education, to provide information to school board candidates like Michael. If you're new to us, please go to www.assistdemocracy.org to see what I'm talking about. That's A-S-S-I-S-T democracy.org. I geared many of my first efforts to what I thought Michael might need. I created a series of one-page briefs on different education issues and a podcast about how to run for school board. And I was able to attract a community of folks who have developed expertise around how to run against extremism and could give him good advice. I am thrilled to say that in the spring of 2023, Michael won. Not only did he win, but his whole slate won, and others who were standing up for public education in North Texas also won, in Allen, Round Rock, and McKinney, for example. All those wins were exciting, but for me personally, of course, Michael's was the most satisfying. I wanted to know how Michael won, and that's the subject of this podcast episode. We'll hear from Michael, of course, but we will also hear from his fellow school board candidates and others. What they accomplished demonstrates what is possible, even in parts of the country where extremism has some real strongholds. So let's get to Michael's story. The reason he had decided to run was that he and his wife had had a rather unsettling experience. My wife and I moved here to Dallas like uh, about six years ago. Our oldest daughter has some special needs, and so we were looking at a special school for her. And during when COVID hit, that school said that she could no longer come back. And so we had to put all of our kids in public school. We had a really good experience our first year. And so we wanted to really sort of jump two feet in and figure out how we can support the schools and support the community, just be a part of it. We were actually uh, on our way to, you know, doing different volunteering things. And one day we saw a, um, uh, basically a seminar being put on by a board of trustee. And it was basically a CRT seminar. We went. Uh, it was a colossal, uh, it was a colossal mistake. CRT, of course, is critical race theory. There's a real definition of CRT, but at this point it's now used as code for those who want to undermine support of public schools by going after a whole constellation of issues from diversity and equity to how history is taught. In the meeting that Michael Cook and his wife went to, a school board member called trustees in uh, Texas, was talking about how to defeat CRT. Michael and his wife were among the only African-Americans in the audience. When Michael's wife asked a question, she was insulted and heckled. It got, it got bad. So uh, it, got, it, was, it was a real, uh, there was a real protest against uh, my wife and I who were there. Uh, and it was really, really challenging. And so when we left there, we said to ourselves, well, if we are going to be sending our kids to these schools, we need to figure out how we can make sure that we are advocating for our kids and make sure that our kids are getting the best education. The Dallas Morning News ran a front page story, which I'll link to in the show notes. That incident 
started Michael down the long road of learning a lot about schools and education and about campaigning. I literally met with every single person that would meet with me who was associated with the school board. So I met with all of the school board members that would meet with me. There were two that wouldn't. Uh, and then I also met with um, the superintendent of schools, a couple of assistant superintendents. I met with former school board members who had been on the school board. I met with other influential members of the community, the mayor, city council, really just to get an understanding of what was happening in our schools and what I could do different. Also, I had no idea what running for anything meant because I had never run for anything. So I also got their advice on what I should do to run. That was a very long-winded way of me telling you that was sort of how I decided to run and then sort of what I did to, to, to begin preparations for running for school board. Among others, he talked with a woman who had run campaigns for school board members in nearby Dallas. Plano is about oh, 50,000 kids. Uh, Dallas is about 200,000 kids. It just gives give you a sense of the numbers. Uh, and so she had done a number of campaigns. And when she told me that, well, in Dallas, we typically are looking to raise about hundred to $150,000, I was just floored. Hey, wow, I need to raise a lot of money. Uh, in my case, it was, you know, I was targeting probably about $30,000. Uh, and then even once you raise the money, well, then what do you do with it, right? Like, I don't really, I had never run for anything, so I didn't know what made sense. There were some standard things I knew happened because every time there was an election, you'd see signs, uh, road signs, um, you might get a phone call or a text message, you might get some literature in the mail. So, I had a general idea of sort of the the tactics, but uh, I was lucky enough that the mayor of Plano, his daughter, his daughter's kids went to school with my kids. And so we connected and she was, she agreed to be my campaign manager, which helped a lot because then that also sort of gave me uh, a little idea and thoughts about what I needed to be doing to sort of actually start the campaign. And then of course I had to make it my own because, um, you know, uh, I think authenticity in the campaign is important. And so, uh, you know, for example, I think I was the only one in our race who did their campaign kickoff uh, speech slash dinner. Like mine was like, kids should definitely come. Everyone else was like, no kids. I was like, well, if we're running for school board, it seems like we should at least be kid friendly at all of our events. Uh, And so I had this cool moment where I'm like giving my campaign speech and like my kids are like running around in the background and um, somebody notices and I say, well, you know, I just, I think this is really important. I wanted to know, I wanted to let people know, hey, I have kids in the school district, so I'm very vested, but also that like, I am kid-friendly. We should all be kid-friendly. Like at the end of the day, this is for kids. And so if we're doing something for kids, kids should always be in the room. We should be keeping kids top of mind. I think that that was really a good way to kick off my campaign and really help people understand sort of what I was about. I think that made it a lot easier as I started talking to people, uh, sort of what my real message was. My campaign was pretty simple. Like my slogan was just like, uh, I want to keep kids first and I want to focus on student achievement. Like those are the two things that I would just say all the time. And I became known as that basic candidate. And it really actually helped shape the entire campaign because by the time we got to the end of the election, magically everybody's was as simple as they all wanted to help kids and focus on student achievement, even though uh, I sort of started there. Uh, everyone essentially got there um, because the message again was so simple but when you ask people why they're running, they would have these like long, convoluted things. And it's like, well, it's really simple. Like it, sh- it shouldn't be, I, you know, I want to give back to my community. I want to do this, I want to do that. Like at the end of the day, like you're running for a very specific position with a very specific role. And school board is about kids. Uh, it's about doing what's best for kids. It's about making sure that they achieve uh, at the end of the day, you know, full stop. 
We're going to come back to Michael's story, but first I want to give you a little more context for his race. Plano School District, which has about 50,000 students, has seven school board members. They're all elected at large, but they run from residential districts called places. In odd-numbered years, three or four of the seats are open. Members hold four-year terms, and in the spring of 2023, three seats were up for election. One of the three seats was held by an incumbent. The incumbent was the school board trustee who had spoken at the meeting where the cooks had been heckled. He had told the audience that they should be on the watch for homework assignments that used the words equity and narrative as signs that critical race theory was being taught. By trying to incite parents around that issue, he was aligning with extremist groups around the country. The incumbent had recruited two people to run on a slate with him, neither of whom had deep ties to the school system. In general, incumbents are hard to dislodge, and when they form a slate of candidates, that slate has an inherent advantage against candidates who are running on their own, particularly when they're running against more than one candidate. And that's the situation Michael was in, at least at first. He was just running on his own against two other candidates in his place. We'll hear later how that changed, but his first job was to really hone what his message was. That is, what he was going to say when he was asked why he was running and about some of the issues that have been pushed by extremist groups. It didn't matter whether I was talking to Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians, in fact. I mean, I, I would talk to any anybody that would have me. Uh, and I, I went to some very, I would say, certainly initially um, tough crowds. But I think by the time I got done, I think people had a very good understanding of sort of where my positioning was. And it was much less the sort of scary liberal that everybody uh, has heard about, much more about, oh, yeah, those things are reasonable. <laughs> as a Republican, I also want my kids to achieve, right? Like, as a Libertarian, I also want my schools to be good. Uh, and so these are just some basic things that um, I think when, when when thinking about, again, when thinking about campaigns, particularly these nonpartisan offices, it's very easy to sort of have things that bridge the gap when it comes to kids. Because, again, kids are very basic and everyone wants everyone wants their kids to do well, no matter what. And uh, if you start with that premise, it's very easy to sort of build a platform off of that that's very, I would say, centrist. Uh, almost at every single forum, we were asked about book banning. We were asked, uh, I was only asked about CRT a few times, but book banning was big. Transgender, um, actually transgender sports was actually the biggest thing. Uh, we did not get asked as much about transgender bathroom, but we certainly got asked about it. And I think that the important part of really understanding people in general is really sort of reframing the question to folks, because I was at, I would say, a, the, the farthest right um, I believe they were called the Collin County Conservative Republicans, um, and they wanted they they felt like a capital C there. They wanted to make sure you knew they were conservative, and you know they would sort of ask me, okay, well let's talk about transgender bathrooms, and I'm like, at the end of the day, I have no problem talking about transgender bathrooms, but when it comes to the things that we're dealing with, the first ten things that we should be talking about are student achievement, are um, uh, disparate issues around um, uh, around suspensions. There's a number of things. I mean, the fact that you know we are 20 million dollars uh, over our budget, 
right? I mean, th there are a number of things that are much, much more important than transgender bathrooms. And so we can talk about transgender bathrooms and we can talk about how I think it's important for all students to feel appreciated. And when I take an oath to make sure that all students achieve, that means all students. And if I have a student that doesn't feel good about coming to school or is afraid to come to school, then they're not going to be able to achieve. And so we need to figure out a way to make schools friendly for all kids. Full stop, that's important. But I, I, want, I want everyone to know that the first things that we should be worried about are student achievement. And then when you walk through the data and you walk through the fact that, hey, look at our achievement gap, right? Like the best kids in our school are uh, achieving at a 50 basis point difference, you know? So if our best kids are getting sort of 80%, our worst kids are getting 30%. And in a place like Plano where, you know, wealth is unending, uh, there is no reason why we should have that huge an achievement gap. We have a $750 million budget. How much of that budget is focused on fixing the achievement gap? Not enough. Uh, and we haven't seen those results. And so by the time you sort of get through laying out what the actual challenges are, yeah, they can come back and say, oh, yeah, but what about those, those book bans? Even they realize how dumb it is to be focused on those really small issues when you have some real things that are sort of slapping you in the face. And I think that um, having gone through this process a number of times now, uh, I found just simply pivoting, saying, hey, I do think that's important because I know it's important to you, but let me talk about these other things that are important that are definitely either more important than what you're saying or things that I think you will find equally important that we find common ground on. Too often, I think people get afraid of these audiences because a lot of my conservative opponents would not go to a liberal forum. Uh, they went to only they only went to the forums that would be friendly to them, and I think that you 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 lose on two fronts there, right? On the first front, obviously, when you get elected, you are governing everyone's kid. It's not like you're only going to govern the kids who voted for you. So that's number one. But then number two, I think that there are also some really important issues on both sides that you see and understand, right? I mean, while I don't agree with a lot of people's stance on uh, transgender bathrooms. I do kind of feel the concern that people have for safety of their kids. And I think that when you start to talk to people, you really understand that it's not transgender bathrooms, but it really is much more of a, I don't feel as safe. I've seen a number of kids school shootings. I've seen a number of things now that I am not accustomed to, and I don't feel as safe sending my kids to school. And those are legitimate questions and issues that I think need to be addressed. And some of it comes out in these like weirdo hot button issues that we talk about. But, um, you know, once you sort of start talking through what we're doing to address safety, once you start talking to the fact that, I mean, we just had a bond issue and we had um, a special you know, $40 million put in to address school safety. These are things that people want to hear that are important and that will help them appreciate and understand that. Yes, Fox News will tell you these are the key issues in school. I'm going to let you know what's really happening. And more importantly, I'm going to let you know, I don't think you're crazy or a nut job or a weirdo. I think you're a concerned parent. I'm going to treat you as such. And if you do that, again, I feel like you start to make progress. That was Michael's message, and he took it everywhere he could in Plano. But having a good message and speaking in public forums only gets you so far in a political campaign. That's true in any campaign. But the thing every successful school board candidate knows is most voters don't really pay attention to school board races. Plano has about 
286,000 people and only about 22,000 voted in the 2023 school board election. And 60% of those voters were over the age of 70. In other words, school board campaigns have a lot of work to do to get voters to pay attention and then go vote. Just about the first thing Michael did was start fundraising. He did what he called dialing for dollars, and like many candidates, it was uncomfortable for him. He raised a few thousand dollars that way, but actually found that email campaigns asking for donations were more successful. He eventually did reach his goal of $30,000. Let's talk campaign strategies. We'll start at the filing date. So our, our filing date, I believe, was in February, and the actual election was in May. Basically, once I filed, I put up all of the road signs. So uh, I put up about 75 road signs. Um, they're all sort of designated places. Uh, I don't really think those matter at all. You have to have them up because everybody else is doing it. And if you're going to be considered a real candidate, you have to do it. But I don't think that anyone sees your road sign and decides to vote for you there. So I don't think that's helpful. But I think you have to do it. And I would say in your town, if people aren't doing it, don't do it. <laughs> that was sort of thing one. Thing two was um, really sort of joining up with folks and picking a slate of like-minded candidates. This was important because ultimately there's a lot of things to do and it helps if you have a team of people working with you. And so I talked with people who were also friendly to, uh, I would say, my points of view. It doesn't necessarily mean Democrats or Republicans or whatever. It was really folks that were focused on kids that were not focused on these hot button issues that were much more focused on student achievement and much more focused on building better schools for our kids. So you had to be pro-public school. So we didn't want anybody that was sort of pro-voucher. You had to be really pro-kids. So the very first thing Michael did was put out road signs, which he did because that's what's expected of candidates in his area. But more important, he formed a slate with other candidates who shared his values. But that makes it sound easier than it was. There are real disadvantages to running on a slate. You're pledging loyalty to your slate mates and you're endorsing them. If it turns out they have something in their past you didn't know about, or if they hold some positions you vehemently disagree with, that can be embarrassing. Michael was relatively new to Plano and completely new to electoral politics. And initially, he wasn't ready to join a slate. But the person running against the incumbent says she was convinced that a slate was necessary in order to win. She had lost a school board race two years earlier, and when Michael entered, she wanted to form a slate with him and a third candidate. I had to be patient in trying to explain to them, okay, I've done this before, guys, and I got my butt beat, okay, because I wasn't prepared. And I didn't do the things that I needed to do to be successful. I am Catherine Chan Goodwin, school board trustee for Plano ISD in place seven. Catherine wanted to form a slate because she was convinced that that kind of solidarity was the only way to defeat extremism. I just was very concerned about what was going on in our community. Just like a lot of the other school districts in North Texas, um, there is a wave of far right what we would identify as Christian nationalist groups that are coming into districts. They have a big pack in in, um, Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile is a cell phone company that calls itself America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. 
It has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to elect school board members in Texas to, among other things, bring religious education to public schools. may have effectively uh, funded school board candidates in in Frisco, which is our, our, our neighboring, and of course, you know, South Lake, Carroll, um, and uh, Keller. So they have actually flipped their boards. There's been a lot of news coverage of South Lake and of Frisco, and I'll link to some of it in the show notes. You'll see a lot about book banning and antipathy to any kind of efforts to address racism and intolerance. In any case, Catherine Chan Goodwin knew that if she was going to win this time, she needed to bring something more to the campaign than she had the previous time she had run. She had spent two years running food drives, going to PTA meetings, and just generally getting her name and face out into the community more, and she had built a relationship with a local political action committee. Keep Plano number one. Steve Levine, president of Keep Plano number one, a, uh, a centrist uh, political organization in Plano, Texas. Keep Plano number one came about as a way to find a, a coalition of people within Plano who would support the best candidates rather than those who uh, were represented by a party label. Keep Plano number one is a nonpartisan organization, but it is one with an agenda. It does want to support candidates who we feel will do the best for our city, not just for school board, but also for city council. When we looked at this year's elections, and in Texas, uh, school board is supposed to be nonpartisan, clearly the very far-right Republican Party organizations the Republican conservative organizations were aiming for control of the school board. Catherine's opponent, Cody Weaver, was lining up support so that uh, if his candidate, if himself and his candidates were elected, he could take the presidency of the school board and move it in a direction that uh, we felt was uh not in alignment with the majority of Plano citizens. And that's where we started. Because this uh, group of candidates was necessary for the success of Cody's plan, we decided that we needed to have an, uh, a, a slate of candidates that uh, could work together and be elected together. We had to prevent the other group from seizing uh, majority control. And so that's essentially what we did. We're not necessarily a group that managed uh, all of these campaigns. I did aid Catherine uh, uh, in her campaign, but I really coordinated through our organization all three campaigns. And that that sponsorship of an organization that was not Republican, not Democratic, um, allowed the moderate Republicans and those that don't feel affiliated, it sort of gave them permission to support this group because this is basically a group that we identified as being uh, the best candidates. And those that, to use one of our 
election uh, lines shared their values. Now, the complicated thing about this election also was that we had three candidates in each of the races. So there could have been a spoiler. Our election strategy in that regard was to ignore them. We basically said, we're going to go after uh, Cody and company and not run against these other candidates. In other words, keep Plano number one, decided it would support Michael, Catherine, and Tara. The candidates themselves didn't have to form a slate. Keep Plano number one, did it for them. KP, we just refer to them as KP1. So Steve Levine, he he was a big driver with Catherine of wanting us to run as a slate. That's Tara Lance, the third school board candidate. Over time, he, he felt, I'm, I'm speculating, that he felt annoyed with Michael and I that we were sort of noncommittal. But really, Michael and I were really finding out along the way, how do we align this, you know, run your own campaign to running as a slate? And I mean, we're an interesting, diverse mix of people. Catherine is an American Asian woman. Michael's a black man. I'm a white woman. So like we're we are in Texas. I can't assume that any voter is going to go to the poll and love the slate of all of us. Each of the three brought their own backgrounds and experiences. Michael and his wife are real estate investors from New York and Chicago, respectively. Tara has been deeply involved in both local, county, and state PTAs for almost a decade. Catherine Chan Goodwin had moved from California to work for Ross Perot's organization, EDS. Then she spent 20 years working in commercial real estate in Plano. Bought our first home as a married couple here and had our children here. And of course, they've gone all the way through Plano ISD and are successfully adulting now. We're really proud of them. And I think, you know, the way our district worked was a great deal, had a great deal to do with their success. Um, and so I just I just wanted that for every kid that goes to our district. And I, and I will tell you, so, um, you know, I'm kind of a, a, a hybrid. Um, my From my father's standpoint, um, he came to this country, uh, into California, as a high school student and barely spoke English. Uh, my mother, uh, her folks came to this country, uh, but she was born uh, here in, in um, California, Fresno, California. Education has always been a part of the successful success story of immigrants, and not only just immigrants. I, you know, any any family who's first generation college, you know, that's that to me is what moves your family along, what moves our communities along, what's this foundation. You know, uh, educated citizens are the foundation of our democracy. We don't make good decisions unless we know how to be critical thinkers and, and are interested in finding out all the information we need to. Um, and, and obviously, um, these other folks are not interested in that. They're, they are not interested in our children uh, rising to their full potential, fully understanding all the information that's out there. While Catherine was urging Michael and Tara to join with her on a slate, they were learning about the basics of running a campaign. Here's Tara. We have, you know, 50,000 students, 100 square miles. Mailing to all of the people in our district is incredibly expensive. So I think Patriot Mobile 
Moms for Liberty recognized that coming into Plano was going to be an uphill battle for them. But there is some organization of people who are following those national threads. So the Moms for Liberty people will come and speak at the school board meetings. They will hold rallies. You know, there's noise. There's the outside noise of the Moms for Liberty people, but I have no proof that they actually vote consistently or who what their pool is in the in the voter base. So if I look, it's a, a huge portion of our voting base is the um, older population. So we have a population that does not have a lot of kids in school. And you have to know who the people are that are going to care enough to get out and vote in that local election. And so I just looked at the numbers of who's voted in the last elections, who was likely, we had a newly drawn district in Plano. And so a Democrat won for the first time for the House state house seat that was newly drawn. Looking at her numbers, looking at her voter base, that was that was interesting to see because then it was, can I capitalize on those voters, their energy and the momentum for them to want to vote for school board trustees that are there that are pro-public education, don't believe these, you know, weird lies like that are classrooms have litter boxes in them. <laughs> I, I don't know any child that identifies as a furry, but apparently this is a thing that people believe that there needs to be litter boxes in classrooms for kids who identify as cats. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I think to every one of these little lies, there's some ounce of truth. I learned that after Columbine, there were teachers who were making buckets, had these go buckets that had litter box in them for the children to use in case they needed to use the restroom while they were in lockdown. So for every one of these, you know, bizarre sounding situations, there's a little bit of truth that's then taken to fit their narrative. So I, I had a strategy that I wanted to send three pieces of mail. That is very expensive. So I spent 7,000 something dollars sending the first piece of mail. And luckily my mail was the first one to hit across the district. I sent a really big nine by 12 slick glossy flyer. And in that I had a gray box. And in that gray box, I said, here's my prediction of what the other side is gonna do. And I said that Patriot Mobile has been activating people um, in, our, in our area. And, uh, oh gosh, I wish I had the flyer with me right here. But I basically was warning the voters that we have extremists that would love to come in and make a you know big mess of our school district. And we need to protect our school district from that. So Tara Lance overtly warned about extremism and the need to protect public education and the value of public education. And by the way, I'm including pictures of that first flyer of hers in the show notes. Michael Cook talked about the need to improve student achievement and improve outcomes for all kids. And Catherine Chan Goodwin, who talked about both, was urging them to join forces with Steve Levine and keep Plano number one. Here's Catherine again. The whole point is, if you want to do something for those kids, if you want to do something for your constituents, you need to win. I'm not saying you disavow your values. I'm just saying you need to be smart about what you're saying and when you're saying it. And that's the only way you can actually get something done. Because if you don't get elected, you don't get to do anything. And I knew that Steve's organization was going to help me 
do that. And, and, and I was happy to, um, you know, try to work on Tara and Michael to convince them too. Michael and Tara continued to resist running as a slate, but then something happened to change Tara and Michael's minds. Here's Tara again. Patriot Mobile was funding a consulting company in Keller, Texas called Edgerton Strategies. And so when we were able to see our opponent's uh, finance reports 30 days before the election, we could see that Edgerton Strategies and their main consultant was working with the three opponents that Michael, Catherine, and I were running against. So this consultant may be getting his money from Patriot Mobile or some other extremist funder, but it's that same vein. It's the same, the same thread, same kind of money. And so as I could put that message out that we need people who are middle of the road, like, you know, school board should not be a sexy position. There's, this should not be um, a contentious partisan type of position that somebody in a community holds. We're talking about educating our kids and making sure that we have the resources and that our school districts are doing what we task them to do. By the time that financial report came out, Michael, Tara, and Catherine had appeared at a League of Women Voters Forum and other community meetings together. They had seen that their values aligned and their positions on the issues were close enough that they felt comfortable running together. And then, in the last stages of the campaign, they saw the practical benefits of running together. By the time we got to the last 30 days, it was a full coordinated effort with the five candidates and as many volunteers as we could muster. Uh, and so that would generally be, I don't know, on a typical Saturday, 11 or 12 of us out sort of knocking doors. We had um, everyone's literature. Uh, we actually did some co-branded stuff. And so we probably hit, I don't know, well within uh, several thousand doors. And again, we were able to really target doors of folks who would be voting. The important thing is make sure you go where you know the voters are. And I found that interest groups are very important. So go to the Collin County Republicans because whoever's going to those meetings is voting. Go to the Libertarian meetings because whoever's going to those meetings is voting. Democrats, same thing. Uh, that last mile was the, the election. So we had early election that was like two or three early voting. It was like two, two or three weeks before. Um, we had someone at the polls every single day. I was at the polls every single day. I was at a poll. We had way too many. We, we had probably 20 different polling places, again, helped to have the coalition of the willing. So we had probably 10 or 11 volunteers in addition to the campaign members. So we were able to make sure we had someone at every single poll all the time. I think that made the biggest difference. I wanted to talk with one of those volunteers to hear what it was like. My name is Neil Robinson. I live in Plano, Texas. I've been a resident since 2003. And I have a couple of kids who've gone up through the Plano ISD school system. I have a son who's a sophomore in college and a daughter who's a senior still in Plano high schools. And we've been long time, you know, involved in our schools as, as volunteers. When I was out as a poll greeter, I got to talking with our, our neighbors who were backing the other candidates. They didn't even know who these people were that they were backing in some cases. It was just that. They're longtime Republican voters. They're part. They're part of 
the Republican, you know, political um, organization, a friend of them called and said, can you come out and, you know, work outside the rec center or work outside the library for three hours on Monday? They're there and they're just pushing that slate of candidates. And, and when you talk with them and what they care about, their positions are not a whole lot different from what we're talking about. They do care about our kids. They do care about uh, good outcomes for the schools. They may not even be that passionate about the culture wars kinds of things. Like they're not, they're not extremists, all of them. They're just there because the Republican Party called and said, this is the, the slate of candidates that we're backing, and so you should back them. School board races in most places are supposed to be nonpartisan, but as you can hear, the Republican Party is no longer treating them as such. As Neil Robinson noticed, they are actively promoting extremist candidates in some places. Another thing that struck him was how few people vote in school board elections. They give you, you know, an app or a list or whatever that has, you know, the names of the people to stop and talk to, and it kind of makes visible how few people are voting, right? Like I'm walking through a community of hundreds of houses or hundreds of apartments, and I'm only stopping to talk to 25 or 30 people in this space because the other folks are all likely not to vote or or committed that they're going to vote the other way. So it just kind of is staggering how it just reminds you how much we take democracy for granted and that so few people are voting. So, I mean, that gives us an opportunity, right? Like you can make a difference because so people are vo- or, or so few people are voting. But it's also frustrating because it's a reminder that a very small minority of people are having an outsized influence on our elections because so many of us just give up before we even go to the polls. In other words, it takes a lot of organization and a lot of thought to win in an area where extremists have set their sights on a school board election. But ultimately, all the work that Michael and the others did paid off. All the fundraising and speaking and door knocking and volunteering in the community earned them the very important endorsement of the Dallas Morning News and enough votes to win their elections. Michael even won a majority of the votes, something that's very difficult to do when more than three people run for the same seat. And now, Michael, Tara, and Catherine's real work has begun. Being a school board member is a big, time-consuming job. And in Plano, like most places, it's unpaid. And the state of Texas is making the job harder, all the time. But Michael is taking the long view. Here's how he talks about the job. Plano is a suburban city of Dallas that has been and has prided itself on being really sort of a mini metropolitan area. Um, It has aged really well in that it has um, continued to have really good sort of both services, retail, become a destination for lots of folks. Um, despite the fact that we have sort of cool upstarts around us, like Frisco is a cool upstart, you know, we have managed to continue to court corporations, we've managed to continue to have really strong schools, um, and we've managed to have a place where people don't want to leave. I would say a, a, a city that prides itself on excellence. Uh, so for us, I think the most challenging part is how do we continue to maintain that strong sense of excellence 
how do we continue to be a destination for corporations? How do we continue to be, you know, a really strong suburb of Dallas while dealing with demographic changes, while dealing with um, some of the budgeting changes, while dealing with some of the just general changes in Texas that I think are making it harder for us to continue to do what we do well. So now you've heard the story of how Michael, Tara, and Catherine won their school board races in Plano, Texas, in the face of the kind of extremism that has successfully taken over school boards elsewhere in Texas, in Woodland Park, Colorado, Fisher, Indiana, and elsewhere. But their story demonstrates a few things. Most people want their public schools to provide an excellent education for all children. Most people do not support the kind of extremism that leads to banning books, harassing educators, and succumbing to moral panics. And if they're aware that their schools are vulnerable to that kind of extremism, they will vote it out. But it takes a lot of work to mobilize voters who may never have paid much attention to school board elections. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast episode. I hope it's helpful for any school board candidates out there who are standing up for public education and democracy in your races. Let me know what you think. You can reach me at chenowithkaren at outlook.com. I'll spell it. That's C-H-E-N-O-W-E-T-H-K-A-R-I-N at outlook.com. Chenowithkaren with an I at outlook.com or go to assistdemocracy.org and fill out the form on the Connect page. I'd love to hear how your school board race is going. Who knows? Maybe we can even do a podcast episode about it. This is Karen Chenoweth. See you next time.